Hello, my friends. Welcome to Word Made Digital. I'm your host, Joanna LaFleur. This is season six, episode 11. We're coming round to the end of the season. This whole conversation on fruit of the spirit, I hope it's been helpful for you. I have loved these conversations myself. I think our team has really been pumped about what we've been learning. We'd love to hear what you're learning. What have you taken away from some of these episodes? Who is your favorite person? Uh, as we're coming to the end of this season and prepping for the next, we want to know who do you want to hear from? What topics do you want us to cover? What stuff do you want us to never do again? We'd love to know. Send us a message. Send us a DM. We'd love to hear from more of you about it. Today on the podcast, we have Aaron Nequist. He's author, speaker. He's an ex-worship pastor. He's now calling himself a liturgist, and he's a Manhattan, New York City dweller. So we're talking today with this liturgist, Aaron Nequist, on the fruit of the Spirit. He's been doing in his own work in New York a series on the fruit of the Spirit. So we're kind of kind of piggyback on that and talk about the fruit. So thanks so much to Compassion Canada and to Waybase.com for making this season possible. I'm going to tell you a little bit more about them later on. But Aaron Nequest, uh, he just wrapped up his master's in theology in New York City. He lives there with his wife, Shauna Nequest, who's an author. Maybe you've read some of her books as well as maybe you've leaned into some of Aaron's work in liturgy or a modern liturgy. And they live there with their kids, their loving life right in downtown New York. And they're grappling between this world of sort of the evangelical mega church that they've kind of come from, um, that kind of approach to church, and then grappling with the Anglican or the Episcopalian, the liturgical church, and what are the most beautiful expressions of both that could come together into our lives, uh, and how do we connect with the Holy Spirit to bring fruit of the Spirit through all those things. So uh, it's going to be a great conversation. I hope you enjoy the conversation with Aaron Nequist. Welcome to the Word Made Digital Podcast with Joanna LaFleur. You're listening to Season 6. Word Made Digital brings you interviews with Christian creatives and communicators to inspire, challenge, and equip you in your own work. The church has the best news in the world, so we want to help you be the best communicators in the world. Here we go. Aaron Nequist, welcome to Word Made Digital. I'm uh, I'm really pumped to have you on the podcast today. Thanks for joining. Thanks so much for inviting me. I um, would love to know about New York in the pandemic. Can we start yes. there? You're living yes. in a place we're watching on the news from a lot of other places. Uh, tell yep. me what that's been like. The last, let's just start there. How's oh, it been yeah. the last year and a half? Well, it, it, um, two things. One, it was super scary, Mm. really intense. I mean, if you can remember back to last late February and then early March and we're hearing all these reports and, um, you know, they're talking about martial law and they're going to shut down the city and all these kinds of things. Well, we're seeing like mass graves being dug. Oh yeah. 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 It was, I mean, so intense. And so, my wife is a lot smarter than me. Um, you'll, you'll learn that if I talk about her at all, uh, she's way smarter. And she was like, you know what, what if we just rent a car 
and get out of the city for a week or two just mm. to wait and see how serious this is going to be. And so um, her family has a tiny little place in Michigan. So we said, let's go, you know, uh, crash there for two weeks. And we came back five months later. Five months. <laughs> two weeks five was five months. months. <laughs> and... Um, so we have a really weird, we stayed really connected with our friends who were living here in the city and uh, about half of them got COVID in that first uh, round yeah. and uh, a couple of them were really, really wow. bad. And then um, right when it was opening up a little bit, we were going to come home, but then that's when it started getting good in Michigan weather-wise. So we're like, well, <laughs> right. why would we come back to yeah, New York? Like summer right was starting, you know? yeah. So the, the timing ended up being a little weird. So in some ways it was really beautiful to get out of the city. In other ways, we felt like sellouts, like, oh man, we, you know. We're, well, you're not, we're not real, real New I guess, are you real New yeah. Yorkers? No, I mean, it's, <laughs> I mean, whatever um, that means. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But we were really grateful to be able to get out of the city. And honestly, we were so glad to get back. Um, we love it here. And even when we came back, I mean, you know, uh, this fall has been pretty intense also. And uh, we actually, our our pod all got COVID. Oh, um, like inc- you got COVID? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, one, one friend uh, w- did a work trip, came home, took three, got three negative tests. But we found out it takes five days uh, to, to show up. So he came back and we welcomed them and then we all got it. So oh, it's been it's been intense. Um, but I think just yesterday or the day before New York opened fully and it's like a party in the streets. It's really, really fun <laughs> and right now. When open fully, you know, so Toronto here where I am has had the longest lockdown for okay. sure in North America and possibly yeah. the world. Yeah. And wow. our like our we have, you know, provinces, not states. So our provincial leader, like he I think he thinks this is like a badge of honor and the people yeah. are like, We wanna die. Yeah. <laughs> it's horrible. You know. So tell oh. me what it's like on the other side. Like, I mean, what what's what is like the feeling in the <laughs> air over there? Well, oh I don't want to tell you because I don't want to rub it in. <laughs> um but, you know, to be honest, I, I find myself on a pretty conservative side of not conservative politically on conservative on the, the pandemic. Right. I mean, I really see mask wearing as loving our neighbors. I really see that, you know, um, of course, shutdown itself has real negative consequences, um, but not as negative as dying. <laughs> you know, So in the States, we had six hundred thousand deaths. Wow. Yeah. And so this is just because it just was a, it was a quite a different response in most other yeah. countries yeah. that like shut down for a, yeah. a, a long periods of time. It was a different right. approach. And yeah. we, you know, we just, I don't know if you knew, but America is slightly divided right now. <laughs> might've heard, might've heard something <laughs> yeah. about that. Yeah. And so we just, I mean, oh, it, it was, it was pretty rough, but on this side of it, man, it's, it's, it's quite beautiful. So, well, yeah. and in general, I mean, this is maybe a, I want to get, we're going to talk about fruits of the spirit, um, yeah. as like a general theme of this whole series of the podcasts of we're made digital podcast, but 
Uh, so you're even already kind of pulling at some threads that we should probably explore. Like how do we yeah. love our, how, loving our neighbors and, you know, when there's divisive issues and yeah. all this stuff. But before we get there, I'll sit in New York a little longer just cause I, I'm a city girl. I live right in the downtown heart of yes. my own city and, um, you know, high, I'm a, high in the sky in a tower and, okay. um, um, t- so, but also one thing we share in common is that we both have spent some time, we are s- still there, I believe in like, a, mm-hmm. in the heart of a busy modern city in sort of this, um, um, seminary old historic place. I lived at Wycliffe yeah. college here in Toronto, the Anglican seminary. You're sort of, so tell me like, how, <laughs> how is like, what is this life that you're living over there? Give us a picture of it. Yeah. What is this life that we're living? Um, yeah, well, I just graduated a couple weeks hey, um, ago from general theological seminary and I got a, a master's of arts in ministry. And basically, you know, I've been in church work. I think I did 19 years uh, full-time church work and then took this little, I don't know if it's a sabbatical or little mini uh, pause. And it wasn't for the the degree as much as I just want to keep learning. Mm-hmm. Like there are <laughs> so many things I don't know. Yeah. And um, I, I told Shauna, my wife, right before I started, I said, I want people to make me read books that I'd never find on my own. Because huh. I'd been doing a lot of reading and learning, but only things that were interesting to me. Yeah. Um, and so some of the things I was made to read, you know, I'm glad to never think about that again, but a number of things I was like, this is brilliant. This is beautiful. This is so helpful. So, um, yeah, so just graduated and we're still living at the seminary in, um, the Chelsea neighborhood of Manhattan. And do Um, they, did they kick you out now? How does that work? If you graduated, (laughs) do you have to leave? (laughs) Yeah. Um, well you can, you can live on campus. There's a, there's a way to, you don't have to be a student to live on campus, but I'm actually talking with the seminary to stay on for kind of a short term worship related project. Project. So oh. that'll actually be really fun. Oh, yeah. how intriguing. Yeah. Uh, that's exciting. I know there, uh, when I lived at the college, there were some people who were somehow, I don't know how they got, they were able to stay for years after they finished hmm. school. Maybe just there was space. I don't know how yeah. it worked, but yeah. you know, there was there, they had family housing and some families right. just hunkered yeah. down and it was so affordable in the middle of the city to yeah. live. For us, it's the most expensive city in our country. So yep. you know, they wanted to stay as long as possible. Absolutely. Um, I love that. I mean, New York is, um, iconic in so many ways, but most people don't get to live there. Most of us enter as a tourist. Absolutely. We feel like every, almost every day we say, I feel like we've won the lottery. Like, how do we get to do this? I mean, that's cool. Um, so yeah, we're, we're those cheesy New Yorkers who are still like enamored with it every day. Like, can you believe this beautiful, you know, so our, some of our longer term New York friends are like, all right, all right. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. We're just loving it. Well, our, our, a mutual friend of ours, Tim Schrader, he was on yeah. this yeah. podcast 
a few years ago. I don't know. Okay. I'd have to go figure out what episode that was. But but um, he also did the move to New York a few years ago yes. and calls himself a New Yorker now and yep. and chose to stay through the pandemic, although yeah. he could have left and felt like yep. he needed to stay. It was something about hunkering down. Yes. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, there's, there's something that gets in your in your, under your skin about mm-hmm. a city like that. And, um, yeah. it, it, beca- it's a character in the story as much as the people Absolutely. that you know yeah. there. Yeah. That's a, that's a good way to say it. Yep. Um, okay. So you call yourself a liturgist or mm-hmm. at least you have in the past called yourself yeah. a liturgist. Um, most people listening to this podcast don't have, um, a background in like a very liturgical, Sure. Um, th- so let's start there. What yeah. What does that even mean? <laughs> yeah. What is a liturgist? Oh, what a good question. Well, my job description has always said worship leader. And um, so, but that I, I'm realizing um, in our collective imaginations, worship leader almost always means the person who leads four pop songs in a hymn, the song leader. You know, and that's a huge. Well, they got to pray of, after the third song. That's right. Too. They have to pray <laughs> to transition to the offering. You know, <laughs> um, and that's a huge part of it. And actually, I love leading songs and leading hymns and inviting us to sing. I, I think that's beautiful work. Um, but uh, and this happened probably about fifteen years ago when I was a worship leader at Mars Hill Church in Grand Rapids, Michigan. We started realizing at that time, um, Rob Bell was the preacher and he was just talking about God and the kingdom and the church in these really expansive words and language and vision. And I realized all I have are these rock songs and they were good, but they couldn't capture the width and the depth of this kind of kingdom vision that we were talking about as a church. Right. And so um, I just started exploring, like, well, how do, how do other people do it? How do other traditions do it? You know, I was taught that, you know, Catholics, they're not even Christians. And, the, huh. you know, everybody else was kind of wrong except us. But the more I explored and the more I was learning from these other traditions, even when there'd be points of disagreement, there was such profound wisdom. And um, so at Mars Hill, we began incorporating other kinds of worship, um, whether it would be a reading or some a moment of guided silence or prayer for the world. Or um, one of the big ones was a confession. You know, hmm. almost every Christian tradition, every time they gather um, as a community, have a moment of of confession, of naming ways that we've fallen short of love. But oh, so not, sorry, not just the, like the, I thought you meant the, like the creed, I like don't, a confession I don't creed, of but, belief. Yeah. But yes, that too. The, definitely the creed. But you know, I, yeah, I was talking about a confession of sin and, right. and yeah. so all these different aspects, um, I was realizing like our tradition, my tradition was quite impoverished. Huh. We did one thing spectacularly well. But there were all these other things that we didn't even um, engage in. And yeah, I was explaining this to my wife. Remember, she's way smarter than, than me. And, and, and she was asking, but why But it comes are we from doing a similar all-? tradition. Comes from very similar tradition. And she was saying, you know, why? 
help me understand why are we doing all these other things during the, you know, quote unquote worship set. And I tried to explain it and I was kind of, sh- and finally she said, oh, so basically you're trying to serve a well-balanced meal every Sunday. And I said, oh my, that is precisely, I've been serving one single meal every Sunday for the last 10 years, you know, wondering why our community isn't getting healthier. And so we kind of shifted to say, well, you know, to take this analogy a little farther, what are the food groups that our community never gets Hmm. that we're a little bit impoverished? And how can I um, include those into our uh, worship gathering? And so all that, very long way to say, in that way, it kind of shifted from seeing it as a worship set, you know, five songs, to a, um, I I didn't use the word liturgical because it has so many, uh, so much baggage for so many of us, Right. but a, a kind of a journey together, a worship journey that we would go on together. And, and, and what um, are you finding? I mean, I mean, this is now you've been doing this for a long time when people yeah. are, um, when people are entering into this kind of approach, yeah. um, a mix of style or a, you know, a, a balanced diet of things, what yeah. are, what are they responding with? Is this new to them? Is this something they used to do at another church? Like yeah. what, what's sort of the, what's the, great what's question. the, what's the consumer feedback? Yeah. Consumer <laughs> feedback. Well, I'll tell you this. Um, after Mars Hill, I moved back to Chicago to be a worship leader at Willow Creek church. And I made the um, I don't know if it was a mistake or naive attempt or whatever. I wanted to bring all this to the weekend service at Willow Creek, mm-hmm. which, which if, if for those listening, if you're not familiar, is kind of uh, a very like seeker focused um, mega church type church. thing. Yeah. yeah. If you close your eyes and imagine what a mega church is, it's, it, that's kind of the, the thing. And it does many things well, but, uh, wasn't always open to those kinds of things, but I was persistent. And so whenever we do anything that, that, uh, that felt Catholic to people, oh. um, after the service, I'd have three lines of people. And the first line was those who grew up just in the evangelical church and were like, wow, that was interesting. Did you, did you write that Kyrie eleison? Oh, you know, really? did you, and, oh, yeah, did they were like, oh, that was it? really fresh. That was beautiful. Yeah. Okay. So that was great. And then there was another line where smoke was coming out of their ears hmm. and they would walk up to me and they'd say, God saved me out of this Catholic church. Don't you dare bring it back here. Oh, like wow. people were angry. Yeah. And I had a lot of compassion for that. They had they had been wounded by their experience. And, you know, had I been in a pastoral relationship with them, I would have loved to enter into, you know, what are parts that need to be let go, what needs to be forgiven, what needs to be, you know. But the, in that moment, I just said, I'm so sorry. But there was always a third group. And they often had tears in their eyes. And they would just say, you know, thank you for reminding me that not all of my past was bad. And that was really meaningful, kind of the include and transcend, be able to bring parts, the good parts of our past into a bigger future. And so maybe I share that story just to say it's been very, very mixed and specifically connected to people's uh, past wounds.
a pause in the conversation, you know, as I think of Aaron in New York and all the effects of COVID there, of course, the effects of COVID are still going wildly around the world. And if you're looking to do something about it, if you're maybe in your area still waiting for a lot of pandemic stuff to end, it's still kind of up and down in your context. You don't have to wait to get involved in making an impact though in kids' lives around the world. Kids who have been just so crazy affected by this around the world. You can join Canadians who are part of this movement through compassion for practical and ongoing support to transform the lives of kids around the world. So there's like this guy, I love this story, I've told it a few times, Harvey, this Canadian who when pandemic happened and his barber shut down, you know, that was, you know, for us, maybe some of the harder things for some of us that happened was just we couldn't get a haircut. For others, it's been a huge, horrible upending of their whole life. But for Harvey, he couldn't get a haircut. And so he grew a mullet. And through that mullet, he raised money for COVID relief for children and their families around the world through Compassion Canada. So whether you want to grow a mullet or you want to sponsor a child or you know you've got a business or a creative idea for how to engage in this cause there's all kinds of ways that you can do some good today so you can visit compassion.ca good there's some really practical ways some life-giving ideas that are on that page it's a really fun and interactive web site and this page particularly go to compassion.ca good the links in the show notes Well, it's true for some people that even even the like the sights and smells of a certain kind of church, whether yeah. that be yeah. Anglican Catholic style right. or right. mega church preacher right. man, That's exactly um, right. both can if you've had a bad experience right. have been been something triggering. I hate that word. Maybe it's overused, but but yeah. it can bring back the the bad parts of it, not yeah. just the good, but. Um, you know, I, I found that in my own, um, liturgical seminary experience, the way I would describe it was I was like learning a new language. Yeah. It wasn't, but it wasn't my mother tongue. So I was, I was stumbling in it a little bit. Yeah. (laughs) That's yeah. No, I, I mean, I've just spent two and a half years here in an Episcopal seminary and um, I was lost every chapel for two and a half years. <laughs> just, Which book are we using? When do I stand? When do I bow? What, yeah. you know, just, but one thing along the, those, those lines, I think you bring up a great point about language. And I think when I started trying to bring more liturgical practices into an evangelical context, I would use all the liturgical words. And that was a tremendous mistake Um, because the language doesn't matter near as much as the experience of it. So rather than saying, now we're going to celebrate Eucharist. It was an um, obstacle for people. Yeah. For some, the word Eucharist triggers Catholic or, you know, Mm. so we just call it communion. Um, I would, at first I would talk about the liturgy we were doing. Well, then I'd finally said, well, that's, a, that's a huge roadblock. So I just say this time of worship together. And so finding ways to keep doing the thing, but to talk about it in a way that's helpful to those who are listening. So it's kind of like communication 101, but it took me some time to get there because I think I, I burnt 
a number of bridges just by talking about it in unhelpful ways. Well, one of the the things you do talk about um, in your writing or the analogy you're using in, in your book, The Eternal Current, you use this analogy of like saving us from drowning. Yeah. Um, so can we go there? Like what? Sure. If you're from the evangelical large church, maybe forget, it doesn't even have to be a large church, but a lot of people might yeah. come or have gone through a mega church. Yeah. At, um, yeah. What, what are on, I mean, on, on the Catholic Anglican side, there's some drowning too, but on, on the side of most of our listeners, they're yeah. on that evangelical side. So what are some yeah. of the things that people have been drowning in or even just like the last year and a half, two years, and oh, why we're man. doing this fruit of the spirit conversation, yes. this whole series is because people yep. are drowning in some stuff. So let's talk about it. What are you seeing? It's so true. Yeah. Man, you are a great question asker. It's, <laughs> it's almost like you've been doing this podcast for years and years and years, right? <laughs> well, it's trial and error. That's for no, sure. No, it's, it's, that's great. Um, yeah, I, I was actually thinking right at, during that last part of the conversation, like, oh my goodness, this entire conversation is why I wrote the book, uh, The Eternal Current, because it was just like, how do I, um, for, for so many of us, let me, let me speak in generalizations, but it's largely just my story and those I've been walking with. For so many of us, our experience of the faith feels good in some ways. Obviously, we, we all have been wounded by the church in ways. But the, the general tradition feels good, but just way too thin. You know, um, we can see the goodness, we can see the beauty, but it's about an inch and a half deep. And when life's fine, it's great. It's a church is a way to connect with people we believe in, to remind ourselves that God loves us. That's wonderful. But when life gets complicated, or to use the water analogy, when the river starts turning into the um, some of the rapids and things get deep, um, many of us have realized we don't have much to hold on to. Hmm. And the simplistic ways of thinking about God um, uh, run out of steam. And I think for me, more importantly than just the understandings in my brain, the concrete practices. Um, I don't actually know what to do um, other than just like believe more or, you know, go to church Pray more again or, or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I'll give you one example. Um, in 2016, um, I don't know if you heard, but America had an election. <laughs> that was a little contentious, <laughs> yeah. but in 2016, you know, things were just getting so ugly. And I was leading a community at that time called the practice on Sunday nights and just realizing that, you know, even in our community, there were, you know, Clinton people and Trump people, and it was just so intense. And, and so we decided to add a concrete practice every Sunday for the whole year. And so as a part of our liturgy, we always had the confession, silence, and then words of assurance, you know, as far as the East is from the West. And we said, let's keep doing that. But after the assurance, let us always add a prayer for one of our enemies. And because what we said, and I said this almost every week, like, how many of you know that Jesus said, pray for your enemies, love your enemies? Every hand went up. I said, keep your hand up if you do this regularly. 
Of course. And all of our hands went down. We, we know it, but we don't practice it. And the knowing doesn't change us, but the practicing changes everything. And so through that year, some nights we would do, you know, I would say, all right, uh, think of a world leader who feels like an enemy. Let's pray for them. Um, one time we put up, um, Hillary Clinton's face and Donald Trump's face up on the screen. And I just said, don't pray for the one you're leaning toward. Pray for the other one. Um, pray for their family, pray for their physical health. I mean, it was, it was hard. Like we, we hated it, but, but that's part of the the work. And every once in a while I would just say, all right, tonight is not about out there. Is there someone in your life who feels like an enemy and would guide through a prayer? I, I bring that all up to say that helped us navigate the contentious waters better than 200 sermons about peacemaking, you know, because that invited our hearts and our bodies and our stories to step into, you know, God's redemptive healing flow. And then as we're practicing that, things can change from the inside out. And so again, again, I'm, I'm, I'm rambling a little bit, but no, you're not. No, um, it's great. To respond to your question I knew my tradition taught me, don't hate your enemies, love your enemies, but it never gave me the tools to do it. Right. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. that's what it is. It's like saying, um, make sure you're really strong, but it never taught me any of the exercises that would help me get strong. (sighs) And so what's hard about that is it creates the knowledge but does not give you the tools to do it. So it actually eventually becomes kind of a shame cycle. Well, I know I should love my enemies, but I don't. So just try harder. Well, that doesn't work. And so I've just seen so many of my friends come up to this either or choice that they feel, which is either I stay apart, like double down on this faith that hasn't worked for a long time, or I jump ship from the whole thing. And what I want to say to them, and maybe if you're listening, you feel that tension, like I either have to turn my brain and heart off to stay, or I have to close the door and leave everything. And what I want to say is those are terrible choices <laughs> and thank God they're not the only ones. But they feel like and it. So they do feel like it. They feel like the only choices, but yeah. I'm telling you, they are not the only choices. Huh. And um, thank God yeah. because um, both of those feel deadening in a lot of ways. Yeah. I think, um, you know, as someone who's led in church... For a long time at this, well, long, relatively long for the age I am, yeah. my adult life, you know, I, yeah. um, I, you know, even just the wrestling with my own complicity in that has been mm-hmm. part of, part of the journey. Yeah. Um, you know, again, we're sort of, we're, we're talking about the fruit of the spirit without actually talking about it, which I, I yeah. kind of love this. Um, yeah. yeah, that, that when we, what, in what ways have I helped create that dichotomy for people that they had Mm. to either buy all in 
or, and, and I, you know, you didn't do it consciously, but as a leader, you were involved in the thing, the machine that did this. So in what ways was I involved in that? Um, or what ways did I see this as an issue, but I didn't say anything, you know, all these kinds of reflections you have to do sometimes on the other side, because what I, one of the things that I think is so helpful Again, it's not my mother tongue, but what I like about the liturgical, like if you go through a service with an Anglican Episcopalian church, you're going to pray and do things that you hadn't yeah. thought about praying or doing. That's right. Like That's there's, right. there's like, now's the time we're going to pray for our political leaders. Now is yeah. the time we're going to pray for the sick. Now is the That's time right. we're going to pray for whatever. Yeah. Um, and it's built into what they've got laid out for the morning together or the, the time together. And like, it forces you to do the stuff you forgot. <laughs> it's like, so as you said, true. like you wanted to, it's something yep. you didn't want to, it's that you just yep. never do it. <laughs> yes. It's, it's almost like, uh, like you're like, you know, those like circuit training or the CrossFit, yeah. like these kind of things where you go in and they tell you what the work it is, workout is for the day. Yes. And the reason it works is because they're giving you over the course of a week or, you know, yeah. going over a, a few months to this circuit training, you're That's getting right. every muscle worked. Yep. It's a great analogy. And there's, you know, obviously all analogies break down, but the, yeah. the church as gymnasium huh. is really, really compelling to me. Um, you know, uh, for many of us, church is classroom, you know, what's happening this Sunday? Well, so-and-so pastor is preaching on this and we go to hear that expert talk, you know, or for other traditions, church is like a performance hall, you know, the worship band cranks it up to 11 and we have this euphoric experience. And, um, that has, again, Classroom has really important parts. Performance hall can really move us deeply, and that's beautiful. Um, but church's gymnasium is really mm. compelling. We come together to put Jesus' words into practice, to learn how to not just believe about, but do. That, that is really compelling to me. Oh, I like that, church as gymnasium. Pause the conversation there with Aaron Nequest. I want to talk to you about Waybase and Waybase.com. Have you claimed your listing yet? That's the thing I need you to do. If you're a church or a ministry in Canada, go to Waybase.com right now. Click that link in the show notes and go and claim your listing because they are bringing the church together for good. They're helping you find new opportunities for impact. They're trying to connect the work of your ministry with what's going on in your greater community. I mean, they did this national survey uh, on COVID-19 and well-being. They had over 3,100 leaders, 2,700 churches, and I think 141 different cities across the country were represented. As I've said before, I, I don't even know 141 cities in Canada, and they had that many participate. So just a wit, a breadth of people with the people across the country. And they got content and data on how people are really doing. I think you're going to love the survey results because you'll realize you're not alone. There's other people going through the same stuff as you. They have the same questions as you. And Waybase.com has some ways to resolve some of those things through collaboration, through trying to figure out what the needs are of your city through Waybase.com and then collaborating together to do something about it. It's going to give you a richer understanding of your people, your community, your city. So... What do I want you to do? I want you to go now to waybase.com, claim your listing. Okay, back to Aaron Nequist. 
you've, you've just spent the last few years in study. I'd love to know any direction on this. Like what is some stuff you've, what is a book, a a way of thinking, a practice that you're really excited about right now? Um, from what you've been learning the last few yeah. years, like some of it's not that exciting. You do it cause you got to do it <laughs> for the, yeah, for the right. credits uh, yeah, for yeah, school. But, but there's what, what has been something that you you're excited about right now? You want to talk about, uh, all the time. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll tell you the thing, this is maybe a little different. Well, first of all, the, the best book I read was tokens of trust by Rowan Williams. And I'd read some Rowan Williams, but I've never read. This is a very simple book. It's kind of like an intro to Christianity. And for people who don't know who Rowan Williams is, can you can you say who he He was? was The Archbishop of the Episcopalian Church, Um, just a legendary theologian preacher. And what struck me about Rowan is he loves his faith. Hmm. He loves Jesus. He loves being a Christian and the whole time, you know, so much of seminary is deconstruction and well, you know, that probably didn't happen and Paul didn't write that, you know, and Rowan Williams is like, let me tell you why this is the greatest story in, in human history. Let me tell you why, you know, so that was just really, really compelling, um, to me. The thing that if you're asking what, what I want to talk about over and over and over and do, um, is the intersection. And it's some of what we're talking about right now. It's the intersection of traditions. So, Mm -hmm. um, I grew up uh, very evangelical. We had all the heart, but we're, our roots were maybe about an, you know, pretty, we didn't, our roots didn't go down very deep. So now I come to this uh, seminary, which is uh, one of the oldest Episcopalian seminaries in the States, and it's historic and it's beautiful and the roots go down all the way down to to bedrock, you know? Um, How old is the seminary? It's 18 something? Yes. Ish? It's definitely in the late, late 1800s. I don't remember the actual it's fine. date. It's not a My quiz. nine-year-old would know. He knows all the dates <laughs> yeah. of all the buildings and everything. But um, what I'm experiencing is the depth is so beautiful, but they don't always know how to engage their heart and their their kind of self, full self into these deep Like it's, it's more roots. heady is what you mean. It is. Yeah. And, you know, if the, if the extreme of evangelicalism is we don't do anything unless we really, really want to, <laughs> you know, the only meaningful worship is if I really, really mean it, you know, yeah. uh, maybe the other extreme on the other side is doesn't matter if I mean it, doesn't matter if I feel it, I submit to this practice mm-hmm. and over time it forms me. And again, there's profound wisdom in that, that all of us evangelicals, and to be honest, that's kind of an American thing. Like I just do it if I want and I don't, if I don't. Um, but if you take it too far, it really ends up being, um, it hollows out the center. And so I am just feeling so compelled. It's really weird. I, I, I came to this Episcopal seminary, pretty disillusioned with my evangelical tradition. And over the last two and a half years, it's helped me realize 
a a couple of the evangelical pillars, I believe in them more strongly. Wow. Um, huh. I want to be more evangelical in these couple ways. Could you name <laughs> one of ways, them? What would be an example of something absolutely. you love? Absolutely. There's, there's a couple big ones. Um, one is that... Um, uh, let's see, how do I say it well? The, the, cliche, the cliche about it is it's all about an emotive experience. But I think the deeper truth is actually believing things matters. Mm. Um, we, bring, we don't just bring our brains and our bodies to worship. We bring our brains and our bodies, but we also bring our hearts and our stories. And it matters that it matters. You know, and um, evangelicals are not too cool to um, wear our hearts on our sleeve. Like, um, so I think that part of it's really beautiful, especially when um, inside this really robust and well thought out container. And that's what we evangelicals don't always have. Um, A lot of times we bring that emotive experience to a song that has six or seven words for five, five minutes, you know? Yeah. And, um, so what I'm trying to explore is how do we bring our hearts into that really robust, um, theology and framework and set of practices, the intersection, I'm calling it the intersection of evangelical hospitality with Anglican sacramental imagination. Hmm. When those two things are present together, um, it can be really, really formative. Wow. It can really help us. Does that connect? Did you write a paper? Like- can we read it? <laughs> <laughs> well, what's what's interesting is I'm uh, I'm not talking about this publicly at all, but I'm actually working on um, ways to flesh that out. Right. Um, like I want to write about it. I need to write about it, but more importantly, I I, I want to find a way here in the city to flesh that out kind of collectively in a community. And so, and even, uh, you know, you talk about Mars Hill, AJ Sherrill, who had been the lead Mm. guy Mm -hmm. there. He's been on this, he was on this podcast last season and now he's moved from the, the mega church built in an old mall to leading an Anglican Yep. Or, sorry, right. I keep saying Anglican because here's the history lesson, everyone. Anglican and Episcopal are the same kind of church, except when America became independent from Britain, they didn't want to use the word Anglican. And Episcopal is um, the word for bishop in Latin? In some language, I should remember. Yeah. And so it we're the same, but we use a different word because Canadians still have the queen on their... We still got the queen on our currency, so we're, we're yes. fine with the word. <laughs> and, oh, it's so complicated, too. If you ask five Anglicans and Episcopalians to describe the similarities and differences, they'll describe it in five different yeah, ways. Yeah. I mean, it's so complex. But, okay, but yeah. I, we got to land here before we before we go. Yeah. The fruit of, we got to talk about the fruit of the spirit because yeah. you're talking about feelings. What, what love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, yep. faithfulness, gentle, self-control, those are feelings, but those are also practices. Oh yeah. Um, you've recently kind of taught around this or you did a little bit of, of thinking on it. So, you know, what's, what do you want to say about what you've been discovering? Well, um, yeah, our, our, over the last three Wednesday nights, our church has been meeting, um, in a more contemplative, uh, setup 
to specifically um, look at, especially in light of the season of Pentecost. And I think the central idea is just that the Spirit creates a certain kind of fruit in any person who makes space for this fruit to grow. And um, what I love about this idea is it's not the fruit of our hard work, and it's not even like we can't even earn or generate this fruit with religious work. <laughs> you know, it's not like God's looking at us and saying, "All right, if you say your prayers seven days a week, then I will." God is pouring this fruit onto and into every single. I'm convinced every single person on earth. The question is, do we make space for it? And that's what I love about spiritual practices. Spiritual practices don't convince God to do anything. God's already doing it. Spiritual practices don't say, hey, God, I know you're really far. Would you come close? God's saying, I've been here all along. But the spiritual practices help us open our eyes to that reality. And so with the fruit of the Spirit, it's the fruit of of God's spirit in our lives. It's what God, it's what a life submitted and open to God naturally looks like. And so our work is to say, how do I get out of the way? How do I tend to the soil? How do I make space? How do I, for me, it's way more, how do I stop fighting what God keeps planting in, in my life? And how do I fight it? It's usually resentment. Um, it's often unforgiveness. Um, it's it's commonly like mindless distraction. I mean, how many games do I need to play on on my phone as I'm watching, you know, YouTube? You know, there's nothing wrong with those activities, but there's a certain point where I'm I know I'm avoiding my actual life, right? <laughs> and so. So yeah, the fruit of the spirit, it's what God's naturally doing. It's who we will naturally become if we learn to live in the flow. And the question of discernment is, all right, what is mine to do to learn to live in the flow? Live in the flow. Don't drown in it. Flow in it. That's right. (laughs) Yep. How do we learn to swim? And that's what these, these simple practices help us do. They don't keep us afloat. That's grace. Grace keeps us. Grace has invited us into the water. We don't earn our way into the river. We're already welcome. And in many ways, we're already in it. Hmm. Um, the question is, can we learn from the teacher of life? Learn from Christ how to not swim against the current, not get washed up on shore, but to get caught up in this epic global redemptive flow. Mm, yeah. Well, and there's a lot of rotten fruit out there these days that, yeah. you know, what people are feeling, as, as you've said, this, you either have to double down and just like right. kind of ignore some things That's and right. stay in the tradition Yep. And even the word tradition is probably not the word evangelicals would prefer. So stay yeah. <laughs> in your church, stay in your yes. faith, stay in the thing. Yes. Um, or abandon it completely. Abandon the, yes. But I think there is this other thing which says, okay, let's trim back the bad fruit and yes. there's something else here. Yeah. You know, I, I, uh, I won't tell the long story, but I, I uh, my first trip to the Middle East, um, Israel and Palestine, we learned from both sides. It was just this 
game-changing experience, but it really messed with me. Mm. And especially realizing my faith traditions, complicity in that conflict and all this. But I remember being over there and I said, you know what? I don't know what to make of the whole story right now, but I'm just going to read the Beatitudes. Mm. I'm going to read the Beatitudes over and over and over. And I probably did that for a couple months. I didn't know what to do with Paul's writings. I didn't know what to do with anything. But I came back to Jesus' central teaching, the Beatitudes. And eventually that expanded to all of the Sermon on the Mount. And so I would even recommend to those listening, if you're feeling in that, do I double down on something that hasn't worked for a long time? Or do I jump ship from the whole thing? I wonder if you could even give yourself the grace to set some of those questions aside to set the big story even aside and just say, what does Jesus say about life? Blessed are the poor. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. You know, blessed are the peacemakers. And we realize, wait a second, Jesus was right about everything. (laughs) Not theologically, well, yes, theologically, but not merely theologically. He was right about how the world actually works, which is blessed are the peacemakers, which is we love our enemies. Don't try to defeat them, which on and on and on. So I would encourage anyone who's feeling that tension and unsure how to wrestle it to the ground to spend some time immersing yourself in Matthew 5, Matthew 6, Matthew 7. Jesus was right about everything. Aaron, thanks so much. If people want to find you or find um, your corner of the internet, where do you want to send them? Yeah. Well, my website is just my name.com, AaronNequist.com. And that has, you know, links to all the socials and uh, to the project that we've been working on for many years, anewliturgy.com, where we've recorded a number of these kind of evangelical Anglican liturgies. Um, But yeah, aaronnequist.com has links to all the different things. Thanks so much. I have loved chatting with you today. Me too. (laughs) Great to talk with you. Aaron, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I really enjoyed the conversation. If you like the episode, if you like Aaron or you know his wife, Shauna, if you like either of them in terms of their content you've already consumed before this podcast, you know someone who's a prolific reader of their work already, then share this podcast with them. We'd love for you to share, rate, subscribe, DM us about the podcast, all the ways that we can connect about it, make this more of a two-way conversation back and forth here, Word Made Digital and you, but also um, you, Word Made Digital and the world, the people that you know. It's how the podcast grows. It's how uh, more and more people are finding us month by month and um, makes us want to make more podcasts. So thanks so much to Compassion Canada and to Waybase for making the podcast possible. Uh, We couldn't do it without them. So check the links in the show notes. There's all kinds of great stuff on those links and some hidden surprises. So check them out. Next up on the podcast, we have Chris Chase. He is pastor, podcaster, and we're talking to him about kindness in an era of much hate on the internet, especially as a BIPOC person. We're going to talk to Chris about what kindness looks like. We're going to round out the season with this conversation with Chris Chase. See you next week. Thanks for listening to the Word Made Digital podcast with Joanna LaFleur. If you like this content, hit subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Rate it and share.
share this episode with your friends. Head over to wordmadedigital.com for more free tools and helpful content for creatives and communicators.